2 Corinthians 1. We'll read verses 1 through 4. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints, which are in all at Chi. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father, from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. The God of all comfort. Now, when we speak of comfort, everyone has a different personality. Everyone has different needs. Everyone has, uh, is it a different spot in their life, in their spiritual life, and uh, where they're at physically, emotionally. And uh, Paul is in a very strange spot. When you look at Paul, we just look at men that we see in the Word of God, especially this man as a superman. When you see all that he endured, and it was... When, when you get stoned to death and God supernaturally raises you up, I've often wondered exactly what he looked like. You know, when people got stoned, people were normally aiming for the head. Rocks leave uh, scars, indentions. I wonder if God just kind of, if he totally healed him or he left some of that uh, the, the scars on Paul's back, being jailed and shipwrecked and everything that he went through. And what we failed to realize was Paul mentions several times in Scripture the need for comfort. And I know a difference in personality. I personally am not one of those that has a great need for comfort. But I may have a moment in life others because of personality or things they deal with on a regular basis, have a need for continual comfort. But aren't you glad that God is the source of all comfort? Yes. I, how many of you shop ATB, Walmart? Uh, for, for ladies, they consider Walmart the source of all joy and provisions. You, you fill in the, the blank. Uh, but honestly, I don't care if you take that from there, to, but Walmart does not provide my groceries. You can go back to the food processing plants. You take that back to the farms, the ranches. You see where I'm going? Uh, and when we comfort others, we understand God is using us because God is the father of all comfort. It is ver his very essence. Go with us back to Isaiah for just a moment. Even the Trinity itself. God the Father is the Comforter. God the Son is the Comforter. God the Holy Spirit is the Comforter. Isaiah chapter 40. Look what it says in verse 28. Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, feigneth not, neither is weary, there is no searching of his understanding. Look what it says. He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might, he increases strength. Now, we do understand that comfort is not the elimination of affliction, but the providing of strength to go through the trial. 
When we think of comfort, we think of comfort food, a comfortable recliner, a comfortable vacation, right? A comfortable day in the sun. Uh, God thinks of comfort in different ways, and that is in the midst of that. Now, we would like to be delivered from, but most of the time he delivers us in by providing us strength. Verse 30, even the youth shall faint, be weary, and the young men shall utterly fail. But they that wait upon the Lord, this is comfort. They shall, the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. That is divine comfort. The Holy Spirit, the Bible says this, the Holy Spirit, John 14, 16. I will pray that Father, he shall give you another what? Comforter that he may abide with you forever. Now go with, back with me to 2 Corinthians here for just a moment. God provides us, I, I kind of look at it as a surge protector. When we went to Argentina, Mexico, the missionaries were asking a list of things that we might need to take with us. They said, make sure that you invest in surge protectors because here, uh, the electricity, there are severe problems and you'll have a power surge and it'll destroy your computer. It could even destroy your refrigerator, your microwave, whatever is going at the moment. And, uh, or sometimes it'll drop too low. And here's what, what God does. He protects us in the midst of that surge. He's not going to deliver us from that until we get to heaven. We do understand that. But look what it says, 1 Corinthians 1.10. Who uh, delivered us, past tense, from so great a death, and doth deliver, present tense, in whom we trust that he will what? Yet deliver, don't you like that it's past, present, and future, what God does. And go with me to Romans 8, just a reminder. Let's, let's just go ahead and hit a few scriptures here. Although we know these texts, little reminders, what comfort is, once again, it is strength in the midst of the affliction, deliverance in the midst of the affliction. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of God? The love of Christ shall tribulation or distress, persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword. As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, uh, then what's it say? In. Our preference, and if we had written the scriptures, humans, we would have said, aside from, apart from, delivered from. And God says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Why? Because the comfort is providing strength in the midst of the affliction or the trial. Now go back with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4. What is the uh, purpose of all this? Verse 4, we have the explanation. Who comforteth us in all our tribulation. Why? That we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble. By the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. Now, when you have a trial, an affliction, a problem, where do you normally go for comfort? Someone who has been through a similar circumstance and has found comfort in God and here's what God does in the midst of that trial. He enlarges our heart and helps us that you don't have to go very far to find someone who is suffering. You appreciate those that have the gift of mercy. You hope they use it in the church setting, the corporate body. 
Uh, but what if you have the gift of prophecy? <laughs> My suggestion is if you have the gift of prophecy, marry someone with the gift of mercy and you form a great team. Yes. That's what I did. My wife is great at comforting. I like to take my wife in hospital visits. I try to speak very little. Let my wife, you know, smile and hug and pat and just like, babe, you take this as one time. Uh, you have the platform. You have the mic. You show the love. You take it from here. You guide me in the gift of comfort. But here's, here's what God wants us to do. He wants us to take that experience of having gone through the trial, having dealt with the affliction, and having received comfort from God from others to be able to help others that are dealing with suffering and dealing with trial and in need of comfort. How do we do that? Verse 11, ye also helping together. How? By prayer. You know the best way to comfort someone else? Praying for them and praying with them. I don't have the gift of comfort, but I can do this. I can get with people and pray with them and for them. And I promise you, your pastor is at this altar. Your pastor is in his office. Your pastor is in his prayer closet praying specifically for you in the midst of your trial and adversity. Christians, we do not, we do not pray enough for others in the midst of their affliction. And one of the best ways to do this, you ought to do it every day, but you also ought to get with that person and pray for that person, comforting them in their affliction. Go with me to Romans 1. Look what Paul says about comfort. How many realize that as Christians we are comforted by God when we comfort others in their affliction? The worst thing you can do in the midst of your affliction is isolate yourself, insulate yourself, and forget about others. God will comfort you in your affliction when you are used as a channel to comfort someone else in their affliction. Look what Paul says, Romans 1.11. For I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end you may be established. That is, what's it saying? That I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Paul says, by getting with you, investing in you, lifting you up, exhorting you, it provides mutual comfort. By comforting you, I am receiving comfort. This is why you ought to be involved in discipleship. You don't, you don't have to say, Pastor, I, I don't have time. I'm dealing with problems and I, I have so many issues. And I, get, when you're investing in others, you're finding comfort in their growth and the way God is working in their lives. And you, you cannot comfort someone else when you become self-absorbed, self-consumed. Let's just put it very bluntly. It's impossible to comfort someone else when you are uh, dealing with sin in your life because the last thing you are thinking about is reaching out to someone, lifting someone up, exhorting them, helping them. These are times, church, if Christians ever needed mutual comfort, it is in these times. We've watched Christians literally, not, not spooked for a moment, 
but literally shaken in their faith as we see the unfolding of what was prophesied. And instead of being encouraged and saying, you know what? God's word is truth. You know how we comfort one another with truth. You know how the, the world is unsettling the church through lies. You take the truth of the word of God and you comfort one another and you say, I want to make sure that I am a channel of comfort being used of God. If God is the source of all comfort and I am in tune with God, submitted to the Holy Spirit of God, I will naturally be a source of comfort. You know what Satan is not? He, he is not a source of comfort. He's the exact opposite. So if you're not submitted to God, you're submitted to your flesh or Satan, guess what you're going to be? You're going to be a source of discouragement. You know what we're finding in Christianity? Uh, People, instead of being a source of encouragement one to the other, they're repeating all the negativity. And instead of lifting up, we're uh, helping others find another reason to be discouraged. Go to Hebrews 10. Normally, Hebrews 10.25 is quoted. We as Baptists don't always do a great job of putting verses within their context. We often hear, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together, speaking of the need to be consistent in our church attendance. But look what it says in verse 23, the context. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, because many are wavering. Verse 24, how do we do that? Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. You know what comforting is? It's provoking others to continue in love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but doing what? Exhorting and comforting one another. Now, church, let me ask you this. Not as a corporate body, not as leadership, but individually, are you comforting others in their walk with God? Are you bringing strength to the table to that one that is weak or feeble at the moment? Now, I'm not talking about the consistently feeble. Have you ever been worn out? You thought you'd reach out to someone, but their weakness was so extended, you found out it was a life habit. And the more you invested, the more you got drained. And at some point you said, okay, I can't deal with this because I can't keep myself up and them up. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about someone. There are always going to be Christians who have reached a point in their spiritual life where they could simply use a little exhortation, a little comfort. And God wants you to be the one that is channeling his comfort. Do you believe that's living life that's led by the spirit of God? I believe we could extend the spiritual life of a lot of Christians if we as a church body were simply doing what God has commanded us to do, and that's living a life of exhorting and comforting one another. Now, go back with me to 1 Corinthians, and I want you to see three areas in Paul's life. Paul, as I was reading this chapter this week, I was thinking, Paul, hard to believe that this icon, this Superman needed, it not just needed it, but he expressed the need. Because you know what normally men like Paul would do? They wouldn't mention anyone. But look what it says in verse 8. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, 
that we were pressed. And this is Paul of you, you consider what we just read in detail in the book of Acts concerning Paul during those three primary missionary journeys and what he suffered, run out of cities, jailed, beaten. Most of us would not make it past 39 stripes. or That would have been the end of our ministry. You know, God has led me into a different uh, area of ministry, and Amazon has opened their doors to me, and I can be a light there in a very dark place. Are you saying not to work at Amazon? No, I'm just saying, if, if you're called to ministry, 39 stripes might change your direction of ministry. We have people that have shut their church doors, spiritual leaders that shut their church doors when there was no mandate, or others that were told to close their doors or they would be fined. Can you imagine had our president said uh, any pastor that opens their doors or any member that attends a church with open doors during COVID will receive 39 stripes? I, I think we would have had very few turn on the lights of their church. Paul was a madman. Because everywhere he went, this, this is a type of treatment that he received and simply did not slow down. Now, those are things that we heard in detail. But here's a case in Scripture where God does not give us the details of what took place. Because from the time that he started this church in Corinth, and now he finds himself in Ephesus, he's referring to... He, he, he wrote this letter, 1 Corinthians. We, we worked verse by verse through 1 Corinthians. And it was blunt. I love 1 Corinthians because that's my style. Just shoot from the hip. Just tell it straight and hope that people receive it. But here's what always happens. When you walk out of that, then you wonder, I want to be a help. Is it, is it pastor? When you're Now, this was divinely inspired scripture. God was using... Paul to give a very clear message, and this is something he was led of God to write, obviously. But here's what he's doing in 2 Corinthians. He is opening up his heart and expressing what that was like sending that letter. And here you have a church that has actually received men who are undermining his leadership, causing others to doubt his apostleship. And stirring up all kinds of trouble, the church is leaning Pentecostal, and Paul sends a scathing letter of rebuke, but inside his heart, he's troubled because he knows, I've planted churches, and, and I, I don't want a tense relationship with any of those churches, congregations, or pastors that I have left in charge, and Paul is looking at this thinking, this scathing letter, our, our relationship was already hurt, he sends Titus, uh, to take a look and, and hopefully bring back news. And, and then Paul says in chapter 2 that he goes down to Troas and he can't, he can't find this before cell phones, okay, email. There's, there's no way to say we'll meet you a certain day at a certain place. He's just guessing where he might find uh, Titus. He can't find him there. He goes to Macedonia. He's carrying all these heavy burdens upon him. But here's what he said in Scripture doesn't give us the details. So somewhere in there in Ephesus, Scripture gives us little glimpses. It says he fought with beasts. 
Now, Paul was never prone to exaggeration. If he says he fought with beasts, was he placed in a coliseum? Did God supernaturally deliver him? Now, in Ephesus, we know there was an uproar. God spared his life in the city. That was, you know, the great goddess Diana and that crowd that just worked themselves up into a frenzy. They literally probably would have taken Paul's life had they had the chance. But there was something bigger than that that's not explained here. But look what Paul says. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble, which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed, this is Paul, out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. We, no exaggeration, inspired by God. Look what he says. We had the sense of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves. For then who delivered us from so great a death? Now, we're not talking about salvation and spiritual death and hell. No, this is a reference to something happened where he said, I am going to die. Now, this is very different than the context that we see is he's writing to Timothy and he's saying, I finished my course and I've, I've fought a good fight and, and I'm ready to go. I, I'm looking forward uh, to being beheaded. Different frame of mind. Here you see the despair, the, the suffering that had taken place. And, and he's saying, I, I could have used a little comfort in this. And God provided me deliverance and comfort in the midst of the trial. But church, here's what happens. We to this day, the greatest theologians of our time, they're ignorant of the details. But God wasn't. God provided. And let me just say this. If you're going through a trial, most people are totally ignorant. And most likely it's best that they remain totally ignorant of the details. If God wanted us to know the details, he would have written them out, spelled them out, like he did in so many other cases in Paul's suffering. Now here's what we need to do. You don't need to find details to be a comfort. You can tell by someone's eyes. We have people here suffering extreme pain just to come into church. What some of our members suffer. Others have recently dealt with cancer and cancer treatments. And now dealing with an immune system that's compromised. And if, if you just went around the room from financial stress stress on the job, health issues, marital issues, whatever it is, everyone here has something they're battling with. But for some, they're at that point in life. The suffering, the affliction is a heavy weight. And this week just brought them close to the cliff or close to the bottom. And you know what they needed? Just another Christian not to ask for the details, not to become curious, not to say something stupid, just to step up and show a little appreciation, pray with that person, say, Brother Ernest, I have no clue what you're dealing with, but it's obvious you're dealing with something. I want you to know I am praying for you, praying for your family, I'm praying for your wife, I'm praying for your kids, 
Matter of fact, can we pray together right now? I'd like to see God intervene and help you make it through this moment in life. And when Paul said he despaired of, you know, you know, there have been people in this congregation over the last couple of years, literally after the doctor said, you have stage four cancer, they didn't sleep for nights because they literally despaired for life. And no one else in here knew the details. Well, that, that woman looks like she's really struggling. Yeah, there may be a reason behind her struggle. That woman may not have slept in the last three nights. That, that man may be dealing with so much pain that even the doctors can't prescribe anything to get him through because he's determined not to become an addict. Maybe right now that, that marriage is just not going to be reconciled and the stress is so great, only God is going to repair the damage that has been done. It's not a matter of you concerning yourself about how to pray or the details. It's about you saying, I simply want them to know that I am praying for them. I want to reach out to them. I want to help them. Sometimes it can be a meal. Sometimes it can be uh, some financial help. Sometimes it can be a word of encouragement or a text or a phone call. But church, would you simply determine I want to be a channel of comfort because we serve a God of all comfort. And if Paul, if Paul, the apostle Paul said, I could have used a little comfort. And to this day, we don't even know. But Paul said, I despaired for my life. I was pressed out of measure. He said, the strength I had, this trial took and hit me above the strength I had where I could not physically, mentally, or emotionally deal with this trial. So we need to comfort one another in suffering. Look what it says in chapter 2, verse 12. We need to comfort one another in our serving. Because you know what happens when you serve God? Occasionally, Satan will convince you that it's a waste of time and a waste of effort. Have you ever been there? You just go and you thought, does anyone even care? Am I making a difference? Does this even matter? Look what it says. So here he is. Furthermore, he's written the letter. He hasn't heard from Titus. He's trying to catch up with him. Verse 12, furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and the door was opened unto me of the Lord... I had no rest in my spirit because I found not Titus, my brother, but taking my leave of them, I went from thence into Macedonia. Paul is stressed. He's written this letter. He hasn't heard back from Titus. He doesn't know where Titus is at. If, if anything has happened to Titus, he has no way of connecting with him. And in the middle of Paul serving the Lord, here, here's what's astounding in all this. Paul, you've, you've journeyed. You've dealt with bigger things. You've You've traveled, you've been shipwrecked, you've been separated before uh, from these men. You've never owned a cell phone, but this is just one time. It was the accumulated weight of the serving that he was done. And the more churches he planted, the greater the weight of his service. 
And he's thinking about the leadership and he's thinking about the membership and he's thinking about Titus and he's thinking about the letter that was sent and the reception of the letter and all of these things. He said, I was so stressed in my spirit. I'm, I'm not sleeping. It, when I wake up, it's consuming me. I'm thinking, has this church permanently gone off the rails? Is this letter it permanently isolated me from any kind of leadership or influence in their life? And if you serve long enough, guess what? You're going to begin to doubt and second guess. It doesn't matter if you have a second grade class. You're going to say, am I accomplishing anything? Am I making any permanent impact on these lives? Is God using me? Do I even have the Holy Spirit anymore? If I hurt more people than I helped, and then someone leaves or someone makes a comment or a parent is angry or a family is disturbed and Satan uses all those things. And here's what you want to do. Find those that are serving and just be a source of comfort. Thank you for being a soul winner. Thank you, Pastor. Pastor, I haven't even had anyone saved in here. Thank you for being consistent in getting the gospel out. Instead of saying, you haven't done what? You haven't had anyone saved in a year. What kind of soul winner are you? Aren't we gifted in discouragement? How many times people thought, I I don't know if I should teach this class anymore. I I don't know if I should even bother giving toward this project or working in this ministry because at the end of the day, I, I take a look and I can't put my finger on anything that I feel like is permanent or lasting or I haven't accomplished the goals that I set out to accomplish Look at my kids, look at this ministry, look at these people. Pastor, is there a reason for me to continue doing this? Yes! So, can you imagine had Paul quit? Had Paul quit here? Had Paul quit at any point in his ministry? The, the church, you know what he's going to find out from Titus? The church had received the letter. And there was repentance. And, and Paul said... To some degree in chapter 7, uh, I'm sorry that I made you sorry. I felt that way before. <laughs> but he said not, not, not sorry in the spiritual sense because at the end of the day, it, it produced a spiritual repentance and a clearing and a change in you. But there are nights when I've, I've gone home and my wife doesn't help, you know, the gift of mercy over there. Do you think that you, you might have hurt some people? Yeah. <laughs> Do you think they're going to come back? I don't know. Do you want me to text them? Whatever you want to do, babe. I promise you every pastor on the planet has felt like that. And I, I know there's some men that just try and disturb. But I'll, I'll tell you this about men of God. The men of God don't look for ways to disturb people. But when the Holy Spirit of God puts a passage in a lesson and a principle in your heart and mind to do anything but preach it is to be disobedient to the Spirit of God. And at that point, he ought to resign his ministry and be honest with his people and say, I just can't obey the Spirit of God out of fear for my people. And here's what Paul had done. He had done the right thing. How many believe 1 Corinthians is divinely inspired? But even though divinely inspired, listen, I believe inspiration means God literally took over the hearts, the mind, the hand of Paul. He couldn't have made a mistake. He couldn't have misspelled a word because it was God. 
by way of the Holy Spirit using, and there Paul is, he could have tried to let go of that pen, and guess what was happening? First Corinthians was going to be written, and when he put that last, I guarantee when he read that, he looked at that and said, boy, that's harsh. When he delivered it, he was thinking, how are they going to receive it? And there is some natural spiritual discouragement that comes in serving, and we need to be sources of encouragement and comfort and find those that are serving and say, continue on. Keep going. Don't give up. Not everyone's going to respond properly. Not everyone's going to love you or God or Jesus or the rebuke, but do right, do it in the right frame of mind, submitted to the Holy Spirit of God, but don't give up. Paul was constantly providing comfort and encouragement. And ministering provided comfort and encouragement. But sometimes, occasionally, he needed someone to be a source of encouragement. Now, look at the last thing we're done. Verse 4. Chapter 2, verse 4. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart. I, I can say these words. I've had a lot of people, they think I just wake up, make a gunpowder smoothie, and <laughs> look for ways to injure people. That is not the case. How many times have we delivered the word, delivered the message, and question ourselves 58 times before we ever delivered the rebuke or got involved in the confrontation. And here's what he said about that first letter. This is 1 Corinthians, sent to the church. He said, out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote unto you with many tears, not that ye should be grieved, but that ye might know the love which I have more abundantly. He said, this, this wasn't done in malice or anger. This was done in love to help you because you were going off the rails and this, this church was in a path of self-destruction. You had lent your ears to the wrong people. And he said, it was with great grief and tears and sorrow that I sent that letter wondering how you were going to respond. I say this, people need comfort in their caring. The more they care, the more they need comfort it. There are parents that are dealing with wayward children. They need, they need comfort, not curiosity, comfort. You may be there. You say, not me, my kid's 18, he's serving Jesus. You might want to just keep on praying for a little while longer. Pray that they marry right, and then they live for God, and they... Don't deviate. Because we've seen some kids do right till 25 and then right off the cliff at 27. But the more you care, when, when you have people that are truly full of compassion, you know what they're doing? They're carrying a heavy load because in the back of their mind, they're saying, I want that person to, to respond and I want them to live for God and I want them to repent of that sin and I want them to live for Jesus. And the more you care, the more you need comforted because the burden at times becomes so heavy. If you teach, listen, if you teach a class and you don't care, you go home at night, you live your life, you do your thing, and you say, you know what, whatever they do at the end of the day, it's their decision. But if you care about those third graders, 
And you see one with the spirit or one that's just that heart of disobedience or one that seems to be glossy-eyed and disconnected. The more you care, the more you need a husband at the house to comfort you because you do care. If you work a bus route, every time, once or a month or so, I'll get with one of these bus workers and make some visits. And you walk into these homes and you look at the lives that these kids live and it's just, I can't do it every week anymore. It's just, it's too heavy. Because when you care and you see what kids wake up to in the abuse and the neglect and the absence of a parent and the other one is working all the time and the neighbor kids are raising this child and whatever life they're living, it's the grace of God if they can escape any of the pain that's being produced by the chaos of their life. And here's what Paul did. We see Paul as a hard man, but you know what Paul was? A caring man. And if you read 1 Corinthians without 2 Corinthians, you'll say that was a prophet unleashed. But we know this came directly from God, spoken through Paul, written by Paul. But in 2 Corinthians, you know what you see? A man expressing a heart that is broken over the very fact I had to write you that letter, and then I had to live thinking, how are they responding to that letter? And when I finally send someone to figure out how you're responding, we can't connect. And I spent, literally, Paul has spent months carrying the burden of a heart of compassion. Church, here's what we need, we need to do. We need to be a channel of comfort and say, let's find those that are suffering no questions asked, no curiosity involved, and just be a channel of comfort. Let's find those that are served because you know what we want to do? We want to see them serve until the rapture, until death. We, want to, we, we look at those, um, Brother Kelly, who, who took a, like a permanent year-long vacation or something. I don't know what he did. Just stumbled back into town today. You know what? Hey, Pastor, he tells me, I am 70, how old, 75, however old he is. It's time for me to retire. Uh, Dave, your retirement paperwork uh, will be delivered in your casket. He said, but I'm preaching, I'm, I'm working with kids. How does a 75-year-old work with, you're doing pretty well. If you want to stay healthy, you need to keep working with kids. You know, I want, to, I want to comfort him in his service because I want to extend his life in where he's serving and how he's serving. But those that care need comfort. Those that don't care, don't worry about them. They're not carrying a burden. It's a selfish one. All they care about is themselves. But you find someone that truly cares about people, you better go comfort them. Because that's not an eight to five. That isn't a drive away from church and put it out of heart and mind. When someone truly cares, that means at nine o'clock at night, 10 o'clock at night, 11 o'clock at night, when they should be sleeping, they're tossing and turning and meditating 
and thinking upon, did I do that right? Did I help them out? Could I have said one more thing? Could I have done one more thing? Did I mess that up? And here's this icon. You know what he's revealing in these first few chapters of Corinthians? The God of all comfort has comforted me. But I need comfort, and I want to make sure I'm a source of comfort. 